forever. Dog. Just between us. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I've started doing Pilates videos in my own home. Hey, I'm Gabby Don. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon. Wink, I'm a little stressed out. I'm sorry. What do you mean Pilates videos in your home? Don't you need a don't you need a, a, a machine? No way. There's all these Pilates that's just using your body. Pilates bodies. <laughs> But it's actually, well, I want to get to you being stressed out. Oh, I don't care. I will quickly say, no, I I want to, but I will quickly say that, you know, for like almost for, I don't know, seven and a half months, I've had my leg not feel like my own leg after my knee surgery and doing these videos are a lot of like full body movements and a lot of stretching and a lot of like things where I'm like, oh, I feel like I have a body again, which has been exciting. How do you do? You got to build up your core, right? That's how you stay safe. I, I can't activate my core. That's an ongoing problem. I got to activate my core because of my hernia, I think. Yeah. The reason that you get a hernia sometimes is because your core is a little, a little loose. I don't know if that's the term. <laughs> you were born with this hernia, though, weren't you? Oh, no, I wasn't. I was not born with it. The doctor who cut my umbilical cord gave it to me. So it was actually, okay, but you've had it since the day you were born. Yeah, but I think the, I could. It wasn't fi- like, hey, this baby isn't working their core enough. Can you imagine a little baby doing Pilates? <laughs> this baby has abs. <laughs> Ew, that's so horrifying to think. <laughs> baby is ripped. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, why are you stressed? I mean, a lot of things. My ex is scamming people. My mom went crazy. Uh, my uncle died relationship stuff, you know, just like everything. Everything's just me listening to Hard Times by Paramore in my car, just jamming out. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's just like, it's fine. It's just like, yeah, a lot of stuff was stressing me out. Also, like, I think like people's opinions of me are just like stupid. And I have to just sometimes like get just like I have to be like, you know what? Like, I, I'm i very good at being like, not everyone's going to like me. But sometimes it's like, damn, you really came for my throat. Also, like, ugh, it's looking like Taylor Swift might not come out with this Midnight's album. So, like, that's really <laughs> bumming me out. <laughs> oh my God. You know, there's just like a lot happening for me personally. <laughs> well, we're recording this on a Friday. Are you going to be able to have like some some relaxed time this weekend? I think so. Yeah. I'm getting a tattoo on Saturday. I'm going to like a drag show tonight. And then I'm going to New York for New Fest, which is uh, a, a, a film festival, a gay film festival. My little, my short grinder baby has gone into a lot of festivals. So that's been nice. I've been going and like doing sort of festival stuff. And so I'm going to fly to New York for the weekend to to see the premiere in New York at New Fest. So that's been this ex- weekend. Uh, Next weekend. So oh, it's so exciting. Yeah. So that's been cool and seeing that on the big screen and everything. And then like there's like good stuff happening. And like that's really part of it. That's been super nice. And I want to make it into a feature. I don't know if people have seen it. You can watch it on YouTube. I say watch it at the festivals, but you don't have to. But if you want, 
So I don't know. Like I, that's been um that's been really nice. And then also just trying to do some other like some work stuff is good and moving and like I'm so you know, I'm like just in like a little holding pattern, but I don't know. I I don't I have a lot going on and I still feel incredibly lost and also like sad about family stuff and about yeah. death and also like I just like I don't know and I'm also I told you I'm in like so much therapy now I'm like seeing like three therapists <laughs> just like trying to get a handle on like what's wrong with me <laughs> well no when you're doing when you're in crisis or you're not doing well like one of the first lines of defense is to increase the frequency of sessions so yeah I don't think that's abnormal I think it's smart I'm just like going to different therapists being like, can you tell me what's wrong with me? Can you tell me what's wrong with me? <laughs> I up my testosterone. I'm like starting to get like anxious about like, when is my top surgery going to happen? Can it happen sooner? I, I hate waiting. So everything just like, but then like good stuff is happening. I just, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of like when we were like, okay, we're going to do the podcast today. I was like, ah. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. Well, I couldn't tell during the interview. No, the interview was great. Yeah, so this is just between us, a variety <laughs> show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. And yeah, our interview was really, really, really great. But yeah, I don't know. Just do you ever get exhausted? Like people come for you or people like are just like mad at you on the internet or criticize you or something. And you're like, baby, I don't have time. Like, I, like I... And people, can I say one thing really quickly? Of course. Okay. I seem to be a type of person where everything I do is given the most uncharitable read possible. Like nobody is ever like, now hold on, let's give this person the benefit of the doubt. Like I don't have a hive. Like, you know, like Ariana has like, if, if anybody ever says anything bad about Ariana Grande, the hive comes and is like, how dare you? Like she could shoot, shoot someone and everyone would be like, she did it for a reason. Whereas like- Well, she did lick that donut. Well, exactly. And the hive <laughs> probably came. Whereas like I, like I could like do the most innocuous thing and people are like, it's for this bad reason. Like nobody's ever like, nobody ever is like, you know what? Let's give Gabby the benefit of the doubt. Everyone is like, fuck you immediately, which I don't know what about my personality invites that. And like, do I need to like, maybe I just need to like show more vulnerability, but I hate doing it. But then that makes people think like, well, fuck you then. I, I wonder if, if the negativity bias is at play here where there are more people supporting you than you think, but the, the negative comments, you know, stand out a lot more, which is like very normal. Like it need you need to have like a five to one ratio for like negative comments, not to overpower you like five positive comments to every negative comment. But I wonder if you're maybe not, you know, seeing, being able to see the, the people that do support you. I just think you and I could do the exact same thing. And people would be like, well, Allison means well. And people for me would be like, Gabby's a demon. <laughs> I don't think so. I think people don't give most people on the internet the benefit of the doubt. That's true. It's because I can't be vulnerable, I think. I don't know. I think you're vulnerable. I'm squishy inside. Be nice to me, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
That's a great t-shirt. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we have a great show for you today. We're going to be interviewing Florence Given all about body image, feminism, women. She's author of a book called Women Don't Owe You Pretty. And it was just a fantastic interview. And later, we'll be talking about incongruous parts of our personality. There you go, baby. (laughs) Exactly. So we've already touched on it. Uh, But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Rose London. Wow, Ooh, this wow is we have very two London girls. British episode today. Um, exciting. Okay. Hello. I've been a huge fan of the podcast and YouTube channel for years. I could seriously spend hours watching old sketches. I would love some advice on when you know it is a good time to buy a place with a partner. I know this is something you both recently-ish did. I've been dating my boyfriend for a year and a half. We see each other as life partners and have had many discussions about our future and plans. We are both in our 30s and are on the same page about major life stuff like kids and money, but I still have occasional doubts about the relationship. This is something I've always struggled with and am working on in therapy. For context, I have pretty severe anxiety and was recently diagnosed with OCD, so that definitely contributes to my relationship fears. In my last relationship, even five, six, seven years into it, I would still have the thought after an argument or bad day, maybe we should just break up. But then the next day, I would feel completely different. That wild swing in feelings has always been really jarring for me and made me question my ability to make logical decisions. I'm trying to break that pattern in this relationship, but it is really hard to tell what is just my anxiety telling me to cut and run and what are real issues. Anyways, this is all background for my real question, which is we have been discussing moving in together and have the opportunity to buy. Some days that option feels really good and exciting, and some days, way fewer than it feels exciting, by the way, it feels terrifying and like we aren't moving too fast. How do you know when you are ready for this big commitment? And maybe my bigger question is, how do you navigate making big plans slash commitments in a relationship when you have severe anxiety that can make you feel awful about a choice one day and totally happy about it the next? Thank you. I think we have this wrong idea in our society that everyone who makes a big decision knows 100% that it's the right decision. Mm, mm -hmm. Nobody knows. I don't know anything. You're talking about me and Mal buying a cabin. I don't know shit. Like, I don't, I didn't know if it was the right time. I didn't know if like this relationship was going to last. I didn't know. Like, you know, you, I kind of just take these big swings and hope for the best, to be honest. Uh, And like, I, I, I think a year and a half is a little soon to buy a place together. That's my, that's my. In your thirties? A year and a half is too short because, okay, here's the thing. You could move in together. I think if you went to Vegas and eloped, that would be less of a commitment than buying a house together. Like there's no, that's not true. If you got getting married and renting is like less of a commitment than Putting, then going through the whole fucking process of buying a house. Buying the house is what ties you together. That's my thought. So I think... Well, that's, I, I, I'll, I will just say that that's not true. I mean, once you are, yes, it once is, you are you married... Yes, divorced. But, but right, but the divorce proceedings are not... Unless you have like a very clear prenup 
which maybe you do. The, the divorce proceedings are not super. It's not just like, goodbye. Like there's still a lot of paperwork and things that can happen. And, you know, like you are tying yourself to another person when you get married to them. I also think you're tying yourself to another person when you buy real estate. But yeah, no, I mean, it's really tough. And I think I love the the first idea that you touched on, which is like, none of us know, right? Like nobody knows. <laughs> and so I think it's tricky, right? Because I think you are touching on something in that, you know, relationship, OCD, relationship, anxiety zone, which is like constantly feeling like you don't know more so due to like your brain than like tangible things in your day to day relationship. And that's a really difficult thing to struggle with. It's something I've I've talked about in my book and on my ESL podcast. And, and it is a really hard thing to navigate. But, you know, a big like umbrella way to approach that, which I'm sure you've talked about with your therapist, is like, what are the actual concerns, right? What is the content of the concerns? Are the concerns this uh, when I'm with this person, I don't feel heard and they ignore me. That's a real concern versus real. like, I'm worried in 30 years, I won't love them anymore. That's right. more like a future-based worry that's not really grounded in something tangible. But I think it's hard to know when, but I also think that there are, you know, I think understanding that it's a risk, understanding that in no way will it ever not be a risk. You know, there are people out there that feel completely sure. I felt completely sure about my ex-fiance when we got engaged. I, I didn't have a inkling of doubt and he walked out on me. So right. it, it's like, the sense of surety doesn't protect you from what happens in real life anyway. But then speaking to practicalities, there are ways to protect yourself about this type of decision so that if it doesn't end up working out, it is not the end of the world. Like, I think, again, we had this concept that like, oh, my God, what if I buy something with my partner and then we break up? And it's like that happens all the time and people yeah. move on and their lives are OK. I mean, I think you and Mal had some sort of legal document when you purchased your house about what would happen in the event of you guys breaking up, right? Yeah, we did. And uh, we also had like an email where I think I said Mal wrote the email and in it, it was like, Gabby and Mal enter into this agreement loving each other so much, like classic <laughs> Mal, you know what I mean? But I think having, I think if you- I Yeah, think having I'm, that. Making sure that like, and, and and again, this can feel like, oh, that means that I'm- setting myself up to fail, but actually like it, that's not what it is at all. Instead, it's just like protecting yourself in the case that things don't work out. So if you do choose to buy, having a really clear contract or documentation about what would happen if you end up breaking up, right? So you know, going in, okay, I'm going to buy it from my, I'm going to buy my partner out. My partner's going to buy me out. We will immediately sell and just dis- and fairly distribute the assets mm-hmm. like knowing what would happen in, in that scenario is a way to not only like logistically protect protect yourself but also kind of like appease your anxiety a little bit because it's like oh it wouldn't be the end of the world where i wouldn't even know what i was doing and my whole life would be upended it would be like yeah it'd be really tough and it would suck but at least we know what steps would happen do you think that when she's talking about five, six, seven years into the last relationship, if they would have a bad day and she would be like, we should break up and the next day feel differently. Do you think that that's normal? I think it's very common. Yeah. I think it's very common. It also is like, you know, what is your background, right? So like if you grew up with people in a, in a home in, in where a home, people just abandoned each other. Yeah, or where people fight all the time, right? And so fighting really triggers something in you and it's really uncomfortable and you hate it and it brings you back to feeling like an unsafe child. Then fighting with your partner is going to make you want to run away. 
right? Like if you grew up in a house where maybe, you know, conflict was productive and not that big of a deal and something that was navigated with care, then maybe, you know, days that are off don't have the same impact. Like there's so many things that go into why we respond to things the way that we do, but they're not always grounded in like the reality of the situation. They're grounded in like our conceptions of the situation, our past history, like, but I think it is incredibly common for, for people to feel like, oh, it would be easier to just walk away from this. But I think a thing to think about is like, is to then go down the road of like, and maybe this isn't helpful, but sometimes I employ it where it's like, okay, so maybe like, I'm not feeling exactly how I think that I should. Right. Does that mean that I actually want to leave? Like, ah, is the idea, what do you mean? Like, uh, and then I go, okay, so then is what I want to break up, pack up my bags, find a new place to live, live a whole new life, start over. Like, is that actually like what I want? But that's what I'm saying. If you own a home together, you can't just do that. You have to like Except go you through can. paperwork. Yeah, but you still can. I mean, live, even renting an apartment with somebody is a commitment. Like it's not so easy to walk away from that. But like, and then being like, oh no, I don't want that. Like, I don't, I don't want that life what I maybe want is to just not feel the way that I'm feeling right now and work it out with my partner yeah and then tomorrow I don't feel that way anymore so great (laughs) no but I love a whim well you've gotten better at not giving into them (laughs) I have been better yeah not perfect but better because we are shown so many depictions of people being sure what even at a wedding right Even at a wedding, people are like, I always knew and we've never had, you know, they'll be like, we had our ups and downs. And I'm like, tell me them. (laughs) What were they? Like, I think people like paint this picture of like, oh, this was perfect. And now we're together or buying this place was perfect or, you know, all these things that like then when you're like, well, I have doubts. And then even like this culture of like, if he wanted to, he would or like you deserve it, girl. It's like, okay, fine. But also like, That doesn't take into account the reality. Like, I'm like, have these people been in a long-term relationship when they say this? Like, it's this very strange thing of like needing it to be perfect, which like you can very much be in love and very much want to be together and very much have a happy life with like, with uncertainty that comes with living as a human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, like, and and you're not allowed to say this, but like some moms, not some moms are like, I didn't, I wish I didn't have kids today. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like they love the kid, but like, we're not allowed as a society to be like, I don't know. Yeah. And I think what we need to depict that, Allison, because no one else is going to. Well, I'm writing a book about it. So um, exactly. I'm trying, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, like it, it really is like, at a certain point, you just have to take the leap. I think we often look right. to time as a version of saying, okay, well, now it's safe to take the leap because I put in this amount of time. But the reality is, is like, it's not true. There are people who get married after six months who are married for 60 years. There are people who get married yeah. after dating for 10 years and break up in a year. <laughs> like, the, yeah. I think I think the things you touched on, which is like having those important conversations about your values, about your future, kids, about marriage, kids, about yeah. all that stuff. That's the stuff you got to cover. And I also think that like 
having been through things with your partner matters more than the amount of time spent. So like if you've just had like a really carefree two years, I, I don't know if that's as telling as having like a really challenging six months. Yeah. And seeing how someone reacts under stress, navigating difficult situations, kind of like experiential moments. But it's always a risk. And so I think you just have to ask yourself, am I someone who is willing to take this risk? Yeah. Like, is 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 the payoff of the risk worth me being a little unsure? And that's a question that only really you can answer. But it seems like probably yes. But sometimes if you have a gut feeling... Like, I don't know if you're like, if you're like moving forward with something that your gut is like not fully into, like there is room to listen to that. Yes, but it can be challenging when you have anxiety and OCD to know what is your gut and what is your mental health. Yeah. So again, it's what is it? Where's the fire? Why do you have to buy a house a year and a half in? Because people like to live together and build their lives and it can be a smart financial decision to buy instead of rent and. That's true. It is. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Well, I hope that helped with our conflicting (laughs) points of view. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Florence Given. Stay tuned. Back to just between us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Florence Given, an artist, illustrator, and international best-selling author whose work confronts oppressive attitudes towards women and their bodies. Her books include the best-selling Women Don't Owe You Pretty and her upcoming fiction debut, Girl Crush, out November 8th. Hello. Hello. I was just going to say the book's already out, but this is the American release date. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm so sorry. You know, yes. we're very U.S. centric over here. Um, yes. We only think about ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> no, good for you. I was literally like, hang on a minute. Upcoming release. What's that? Yeah. We know about a book that you haven't even put out yet. And also, <laughs> look, we assume everything. If it's not happening in America, it's not happening. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> uh, we're so excited to talk to you. And I think especially about your nonfiction book, just because the touches on so many topics that I think we've, you know, brushed up against on this, but haven't done like the deep dive, like research and thought that you obviously have. And so mm. what was it like for you to sort of tackle you know, so many different topics about being, you know, a woman and the male gaze and all of these things in one kind of cohesive book. (laughs) I wanted to, honestly, I wanted to make something that was so accessible and so intriguing, particularly to younger women, because I don't think if, if you, if you want, if you were going to tell a young woman, let's learn about feminism, I don't think that's quite appealing. So you have to sugar the pill a little bit. And I feel like with my illustrations, they're so, they're engaging, they're fun, they're exciting. And I feel like that was my entryway into game. I feel like people have to want to do something if they're going to engage with something that's actually quite a tricky subject. And so when I wrote Women Don't Know You Pretty, the aim of it was to kind of get on board the girlies that weren't listening to 
uh, feminist podcasts or the people that maybe don't read a lot of feminist literature and to kind of make it this thing that seems relatable. Because I think a lot of the time, feminism and academic subjects are so, we like to gatekeep them and say that you have to have read this book or have to have done gender studies at university to even learn about this stuff. But the basic principle of feminism and something that I talk about a lot with my work and with Women Don't Only Pretty is that you have the right to say no and boundaries weren't ever taught to me. They weren't ever taught to my friends. I learned sooner how to have boundaries with the food that I was eating than I was taught to have boundaries with other people, told from a young age not to eat this, not to eat that, to wear this, not to wear that, to dress up, to be desirable, to get your way in life. But then you're blamed for that and blamed for your sexual assault when you, when things happen to you, when you're dressed that way. And it was kind of, I was kind of taught that my body was something to be used as this tool and this thing to move around the world, but also the thing that could harm me the most. And it was a really confusing relationship to have with my body as a young woman. And I wanted to articulate it and put it into a book so that young girls knew that there's not something wrong with them. Our bodies are put into a society where we're told that they're profitable profitable for some people and also the thing that can be used to blame us for bad things that happen to us. And I had an intention with the book and that was to empower people with this knowledge, but I wanted to do it in a way that left you feeling lighter and not burdened with this information. Because I think a lot of the time when it comes to social justice or activism or feminism, there's this, it's like a heavy, it's a weight. And it's this, what do I do? I've learned all of the stuff about myself, about my privilege, about the privilege of other people and how it impacts me. And it's so weighty that we don't really know what to do with it. And so for me, it's always been important with my podcast or my book to create a space where people can have, have these conversations, where they can be curious and to pass it on to a friend to enlighten them as well. Ultimately, I just think women are so much better when we talk about these things. I think in the 70s, they had consciousness raising groups where Mm -hmm. women would just talk about their daily lives. And I think that was so radical at the time because women didn't really know what it was they were doing, but they were ultimately opening the lid on the daily realities that they were experiencing with their husbands or in the workplace or with being queer and not knowing what the fuck to do about it. And I think it's the most basic thing that every fucking podcast host says, but conversations are so powerful. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just such a basic thing, but some, sometimes the most basic thing is the best fucking thing. And that's what I wanted to do with the book. And I feel like there's obviously the chapters are bite size kind of feminism 101. It's not the, the massive extent that you should be doing your feminist re- research on, but no one's going to pick up a book that's just called How to Be a Feminist in Black and White. I feel like you need to introduce these subjects to people in a way that's going to be engaging for them. Because, I mean, even your podcast is fun and it's engaging and it's uplifting and you want to listen to it. And you also talk about other topics as well. You know, I I feel like it's important to do that for people because even as a consumer, I want to be entertained. If it's going to be, even if it's a good documentary about something I need to know about, you want to be hooked. And that's also the way that the world works now with reducing attention spans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like it's good to get people interested in long, complex topics. Um, Long, complex topics. Yeah. I think the title of your book really does that. Like, I think the, you. the title grabs you. Thank you. If you're not someone who's ever thought that, if you're not someone mm. like a woman who's ever considered that that might be like, I think a lot of people change during the pandemic where they realize like when they don't have to dress up all the time, if they actually like to dress up or if they were just doing it to sort of yes. navigate a world where that's rewarded or like you said, punished. So it is very interesting. Yeah. And then it's knowing that it helps. It's like every morning you kind of decide when you're still in that space, like which version of myself am I going to be today? Am I going to be the version of floss that 
is authentic to how she actually feels with the version that if I do these rituals, if I apply this makeup, if I wear this outfit, if I do my hair, if I apply all the things, will it actually help me and, and control the way that I'm perceived in the world? And I think it's a thing that comes to femininity as well is learning that like when I was 14 years old, I was wearing shapewear and bodycon dresses and stuffing my bra with chicken fillets and pushing my boobs up and all of this kind of stuff. And I think I was just kind of performing what I thought it was meant what meant to be a woman, wearing high heels, all of this stuff. And none of it was me at all. And I feel like over the years, I'm lucky to have had the, the realisation early on in my life, but that's not floss. That's not who I am. And I think every single day, it's stripping back some version of who I thought I was to get back to who I actually am. But I think there's, there's no real way of knowing entirely. You could like send yourself into some kind of existential crisis every single day if you wondered how much of me is who I am and how much of me is because of societal conditioning. And I don't think there's a black and white answer with that, but it's, it's something, it's a subject to take lightly and not want to like completely strip yourself off because everything is influenced by everything. Absolutely nothing is original. You'll never get to the bottom of everything in life, but it is fun to ask those questions. God, British people have such good nicknames. Floss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most people who are called Florence, I feel are called Flo, but if someone calls me Flo, I genuinely don't even turn my head. Like I've not registered it as me. Um, so yeah, everyone's called me floss since I was very young. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting because I'm currently in a social social psychology class in grad school. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reading a book right now for my midterm where it's literally like when people are attractive, they do better. <laughs> like if you dress uh-huh. a certain way, people will perceive you as having more authority and therefore you will have more influence. And I'm like, no! <laughs> like, it's, it's the, the halo effect or something, right? The halo mm-hmm. effect. And then it's also, yeah. it's like, but by what fucking standards? Like, what is attractive? And then you it can changes. get into that. And you just, yes, it, it does change. There's almost like, there's this always underlying racist thinness beauty standard that we have. And then there's all of the stuff that gets added on top of that, like what we count as professionalism. And then the differences that we have for men and women and how we uh, expect them to show up in the workplace as well. But yeah, hot people get away with a lot more. That's for sure. <laughs> I've been noticing like, so the they seem to think that it's the end of the Kardashianism era where people mm-hmm. are getting their filler devo- dissolved. People are taking their implants out because now there's this like big, photo shoot with Kim Kardashian looking um, more 90s wayfish model, like back to that mode. And so again, Mm. it's very racist because it's like, let me try on being this body that is like, was like, you know, harangued for years that traditionally belonged to black women and then come back around. And now it's like, oh, that's not fashionable anymore. So I'm just going to go and be this other, you know, beauty standard. And it's like, God, like, what is desirable fluctuates so much that if you tried to follow it to a T through every trend, mm. uh, uh, that can't be good for you. <laughs> no. And I think, are you talking about the, I don't know if it was the interview cover that Kim K did with the, like, yes. the bleached mm-hmm. brows. Yeah, was it that one? Yeah, yeah, I actually, I love Nadia Lee Cohen who shot and styled her for that. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But I, no, I to- totally agree with what you're saying. It's like this costume that she's uh, put on and has been, um, it's just so interesting, isn't it? How any, any, any discussion about beauty always come back, comes back to the Kardashians right. because they are so influential yeah. that 
even if there's some kind of, there's probably, I'm assuming what you're referencing is some kind of statistical drop in people getting lip fillers or some increase in them getting removed. Yes. And I think that is so powerful. And I think mo- many people have probably said this, but if, if, if Kim K was to come out and kind of denounce some kind of standard or even post some kind of acne picture, I don't know. that, that And that is the most basic level of like, breaking the illusion of beauty thing that someone in her position could do it would have an enormous impact and so it makes you wonder when also we are now in this culture of relatability being the currency instead of extreme stardom yeah yeah exactly i'm i'm wondering why they haven't yet cashed in on that (laughs) like because they did remember kendall jenner was like i'm gonna come out with a big secret and everyone was like kendall's gay and then she was like i have acne (laughs) Oh, no way. Okay. <laughs> I okay. think about oh, that I every day. That. Oh, no. That was a while ago, but yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I've seen like, I've seen all of the little lesbian memes about her on all the meme accounts about like Karen Bella Hadid. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I, I must have missed that one. But, but yeah. <laughs> but it's this thing where like, you know, I think if you just embrace, it's hard to, it's like, if you just embrace like what beauty is to you that's the ideal and what you look best as but then Mm. but then if you're not meeting those standards like Allison said you're suffering in the workplace Mm -hmm. and you can't make companies can't make money if you like yourself companies can't sell to you if there's no void in you that needs to be sold to that they can't sell you a skincare product or a new way of looking if you like how you look because you'll instantly look at it and think I'm okay I don't need that and it goes all the way back to the Gillette razor brands that um I think women just didn't even shave did they like before the 1900s and then they uh, they were like how can we compete with all of the other razor brands? Oh my God, 50% of the market isn't buying our product. Let's put out this campaign about hairless angel of a woman on a billboard. And then they just created the security, uh, the insecurity. And now it's like a part of daily life of like, do you shave or do you not shave? And it's got, it's become so, and shaving is also such an invasive process uh, with your body. And, and we all, like most people consider doing it or do do it or encouraged to do it. To the point where it's like one of the most, at least for me, it was in school. It was one of the most controversial topics if you shaved or not shaved. And um, I had an experience in school as well where the girls in my school were talking about how they shaved their nipple hairs around me very loudly. And we were about 14 years old. And I didn't shave my nipple. Didn't even know that was a thing. You know, when you hear about a thing and you go, fucking hell, I didn't know that. Oh, I must do it. I must follow suit. And so I shaved my nipple hairs. And then I went into school and I told them and I was like, yeah, I just shaved my nipples last night, you know, like, ugh, like that's what I do. And then they were all like, you shaved your nipple hairs. They were like, we said that just to see if you would do it. <gasps> and I was like, whoa. And I felt so embarrassed. And now only, it's now only in hindsight that I can see the influence that other women have on beauty standards with each other. Like mm. I have, I never really interact with men. Honestly, I rarely interact with men. And so if I, I can't actually remember the last time I felt pressure to adhere to a beauty standard because of a man and just yeah just even looking back on things in hindsight women are not the creators of beauty standards but we do have a lot of influence over each other with how we feel about our bodies and it's not until I hear other people talking about their bodies that I even start to think about mine and it's it's interesting the people you surround yourself with and how they can influence you and the way you view yourself and if you're following the Kardashians on social media then you're gonna feel a certain way about your body perhaps Mm -hmm. 
I had a very similar experience with nipple hair where I was in college. I was in college and one of my friends, my guy friends was like, yeah, I don't like when a girl has nipple hair. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And then I like looked at my body later and was like, oh, I have that. I have this thing. Yeah, wasn't even aware of (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't until I first had sex with a woman and I saw she had a long hair on her nipple that I felt deeply comforted and I was like yes I just haven't touched them since (laughs) yeah well Allison and I used to go to the uh naked spa together the like Korean spa and I remember one time we were talking about how you, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were saying that one thing that you like about going there, Allison, was that you get to see all these different women's body types. Whereas like for me being, being queer, I was like, I see women naked all the time. <laughs> Not to brag. Um, <laughs> I see women naked all the time. So I'm like, I, I know what looks normal, what looks different, what other women's bodies yeah. look like. And Allison was saying as a straight person, she doesn't have any context. Like she doesn't know. Yes. So so it was like comforting to you in a way that like was different than, you know, how for me, although one time I did, I was dating this new girl and I thought that she just had a hair on her nipple and it was attached to her and I tried to wipe it off twice. And then she <laughs> went, are you trying to wipe the hair? And I was like, oh no. I was like, I don't care that it's there. I just truly, I truly thought it was like a, a cat hair or something. I'm so sorry. Oh no. I was like, it can stay, hair. it can stay. But she thought she thought it was funny. She was like, you oh, keep trying to like I, wipe this hair off. I was like, I really thought it was from the cat that I had at the time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's so interesting though about Alice and your experience with the sauna and going and seeing naked bodies and stuff, because I, I hadn't thought about that for a while. But even when it comes to, so I sometimes engage with my audience doing like Q&As and asking them about their, what they're worried about or just finding out what, what women care about because it's part of my research process anyway. And a lot of people are talking about how they've never seen their pussy. They've never seen it. They And it, it was, and then I asked how many of you are gay? How many of you are straight? Bi, whatever. And most of the women who hadn't seen their pussy or even looked at it were straight women. And it's something to do with the, the I think it's just heteronormativity and how women are encouraged to view their bodies through the lens of men because I've also not just seen my own pussy and something about that helped me love my own pussy and there's something there's something to do with pussy confidence as well during sex that just changes your experience (laughs) no I mean it, it was a real game changer for me to like see just like people's bodies like I I you know because until then like I didn't even grow up in a house where I saw like my mom naked. Like yeah. we weren't like that. And so lucky. I, <laughs> like, you know, I had no reference point for what female bodies looked like uh, other than models and like people on TV and, you know, and like maybe like Lena Dunham and like, but that was like yeah. such a big deal because it was like mm-hmm. her body's different. And so I was like, what, you know? And so I, yeah, like, I mean, and then you're like, oh, well, my body doesn't look like all these women that I, the only ones I've seen and therefore Mm. it's not good enough. It's not to the standard or it's abnormal only to then go and be like, oh no, like every, like it's such a wide range. Like I, I wrote about in my book, like (laughs) it's embarrassing to talk about, like I used to freak out because like my, I, I always use the wrong terms, but like my, like, what are the lips? The labia? The labia, yeah. I already knew you were like, like this, and I was like, labia. <laughs> yeah, labia, yeah. <laughs> like one was slightly longer, and I was like, well, I got a junk one. 
mine's yeah. real trash. Like this is, <laughs> yeah. nobody's looks like this. This is a big, and like, honestly, I don't think anyone's ever noticed. Like it's, it's if like. If somebody's close enough to me to see it, I win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you going to, you're going to leave? Okay. But even like pubic hair, like seeing different yeah. types of pubic hair and like different mm. ways to that. I didn't just have to like be completely shaved or right. like it, it is like this thing. I think when you're straight where like you just might not be exposed to anything other than your own body. Or porn. And it's, or porn. Or porn. Or right. porn. And it's like and then it's like the porn style pussy. And then all of all of the kind of all the pussy that we're used to seeing in, in like the stereotypical man dominating woman kind of porn that is like the, the most widely uh yeah, like kind white of porn. straight cis porn yeah yeah where it's like this you don't know how ethical it is whatever like these porn sites whatever um it's normally the woman's completely hairless and it's this yeah it's just this this the way that men describe the the quote unquote perfect pussy is just so prepubescent and gross. It's not like it's not the way that they describe it. It's hairless. It's quote unquote tight. It's all of this stuff that's just really childlike and a bit strange. Yeah, that that's yeah. the standard. Or like movies, it's like the you just seeing like movie stars right <laughs> bodies yeah. or like and then you find out oh they're using doubles for those scenes. <laughs> like it's not even their body. Wow. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a place in London called the Ladies Pond. And I only discovered it a few years ago. It was just before the lockdown. And it's called the Ladies Pond in Hampstead Heath. And it's this massive field. And they have a, an area restricted just for women. It's guarded by women. And it's this little feminist, gorgeous utopia where there's a pond, like this natural pond and a hill. All the women are naked with their tits out, revealing however much they want to. There's not a man in sight. And that's the first time I felt purely in my body and not trying to witness it at the same time. I was just mm. in it, in the sun, going into the water occasionally with my friend who didn't want to take all of her clothes off because she was still getting used to it. But there were women all, of all kinds of body shapes and sizes, women with their kids naked, big girls, disabled girls. There was everything out. And it was the closest I'd felt to just being fully in my body and not worrying about what it looks like. And I've said this on my own podcast in an episode before, but it's funny how two of the most joyful things for women, sex and summer, are where we experience most anxiety. Like where we experience most anxiety about sex and about summer because we have to get our bodies out for that. And mm. that's, it's funny that those two things have been, we've kind of been robbed of our joy in those areas because we're worried about what we look like, but they're just the two best things on earth, sex and summer. Yeah. I've had a lot of really interesting revelations. So I'm uh, transitioning and I've had like some fun revelations of like in the T for T variety, which is like trans for trans and like yeah. how much that has eliminated like the thoughts that I grew up my whole life with like what body should look like or what gender should look like or what sex should look like which has been like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like maybe I'm T for T for life. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like just the, just the like ways in which you can just fully kind of shed any, any sort of, I don't know. It's been great. Cause like, I don't, the seeing those people naked and like being naked myself is like, you just get down to like what you're attracted to and who you're attracted to. And there's not any mm. sort of like, 
it's just completely beyond any, I feel like they haven't caught us yet. Like, I feel like the beauty standards are like creeping like they, and then we just, they haven't caught us yet. <laughs> like, like That's they're like, so if good. Gillette can figure out how to saying. get, yeah, like Gillette's like, how do we get trans guys to shave? <laughs> like they're thinking, they're like in like their little meeting being like, what, what can we exploit there? And they like, haven't reached us yet. So I don't, you know, like, I think it's like this, I think they're, I feel like they, there's some intern who's like at the, these companies being like, but I think trans could be profitable, but how, you know, like, and then until, until they get us. It's like, they're so not even unaware, just not even, well, not even considering. They don't know where to begin, which is great. No, no, no. That's for as much as I know that trans beauty standards and existing in a trans body is challenging, I love that you found this gorgeous little loophole where you're like, but, but they haven't got us yet. (laughs) Most cis people have no concept of what, of how trans people have sex or how trans people's genitals Mm -hmm. look or change or whatever. So like, they're not even thinking about it. So I'm like, like even like visibility, you know, visibility being a double edged sword where it's like, you know, in the past you would only see trans women on Jerry Springer. But like now, like, you know, Laverne Cox and Janet Mock and all these people are really popular. Mm -hmm. And and so it was almost like it was almost like I wonder if it was better when nobody knew versus like now where they're like, how can we make this capitalist? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine it's frustrating when it's up for debate that's at least what happens in the media with trans people constantly it's just a debate it's not even about trans people's lives or their well-being because they don't care it's about this debate and about this right or wrong and i i can't imagine what it's like to have who you are debated morally on the news every single fucking day the uk is awful for i don't know what it's like in the us but but like they debate until probably I mean, think about like they were like debating all this like fat phobia stuff, which they still do. But then like all of a sudden it was profitable for women to have big asses and big tits. And then they were like, well, we can make money off this. So, you know, and then now it's like going to go the other way of like, you know, now we're going to be selling diet stuff like it's this like Mm. it's this thing where they're like, how can we sell this? How can we sell this? How can we sell this? And they haven't figured it out maybe for like once they get real capitalist with it, maybe they'll be like, you know mm. what? We love trans people. They're buy, buy, buy all of our products, <laughs> buy all of it's our like, things. I don't know. Cause it all comes down to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At, yeah. At the end, at the end of the day, any, any kind of beauty standard that's pumped through the media is to make you feel shit about yourself. But like you said, they're not even being consistent. So <laughs> with, with the messaging, there's no integrity to it. No, we're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. I'm wondering, like, having feedback from readers, like, what were parts of the book that people were surprised to learn or, like, change their mindset on something? So with Women Don't Know You Pretty, it was probably my chapter number five, which is called Refuse to Find Comfort in Other Women's Flaws. And I actually wanted to write a whole book on internalized misogyny because so much of the time, so much of my time and energy, I know my strengths. I'm often asked, do you want to go into politics? No, I'm a good writer. I'm a good illustrator. I like to design things and make them look pretty. I'm a good communicator, but I would not be a fucking good politician. No. 
So when it comes to my strengths, I also know that I'm good at talking to women. I'm really good at talking to women and queer people, not so much men. I can, but I just don't think they listen to me and it's not as effective. I don't have as much power there, right? And the reason I wrote Women Don't Owe You Pretty was because I knew where my power was. And that was, I would be the friend giving the advice, giving the tough love. And I would watch how my friends would realize the stuff that was already inside of them, but they just needed that mirror shone up to their face so they could see it themselves. My friends have always had their, own, their tools to do, the, to do their own stuff. Anyone that's helped me has never really told me what to do. They've just merely allowed me to see that I already know the answer. And that's basically what I've been doing with my work for years. And I'm good at talking to women. And so I was thinking about all the ways that women uphold these structures with each other when it comes to patriarchy. And there's an amazing analogy. Have you ever heard of the crabs in a bucket syndrome? No. No. So it's crabs in a bucket syndrome is where when crabs are caught or lobsters, crabs or lobsters, when they're caught at sea uh, and they're put in a bucket by the crab fisher person, they're in the bucket. They can all help each other climb out of the bucket and get back to sea with their pincers. Like they're physically able to do that. But as soon as one crab is about to escape the bucket, all of the crabs pull the other one down so that they have a collective demise. And it's this theory of if I can't have it, you can't. And we see this in marginalized communities, even not in marginalized communities, in small towns where one person kind of escapes the group think or one person does something differently. We hate it because it challenges our own sense of self and we have to tear them down. We see it happen in the media. We see it with when women walk into a room, it's typically scanning for some kind of, like in nightclubs and stuff, it's like, where's the threat? Who's the girl I have to look out for? All this kind of calculation stuff. And I really wanted to write about the ways that women hurt one another. And it's something that I've witnessed in my life, something I've experienced. And it was, it was such an interesting topic that a lot of women messaged me about after reading the book saying, I'm way less judgmental now because I'm noticing it when it comes up about other girls. It's, it's the whole, like, I'm not the, like the other girls syndrome, right? There are so many ways that we want to distance ourselves from women. And I just kind of wanted to hold the mirror up to women and be like, why? Like, why, why do we want to distance ourselves from women? We're not that fucking different from each other. And it's just this patriarchal lie that we've all been sold. So that was, that was the one I received most messages on. That makes sense. It's definitely something I had to like get over because I think, yeah, you feel like you feel threatened by them. And then also if you're the only woman, then it's like, oh, well, then I've had this approval from from men, which feels like used to feel so powerful to me. Like mm. and it and like deconstructing that and being like, oh, I've been approaching this incorrectly. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's liberating. But then you also feel bad. You're like, oh, my God, I was part of the problem. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not it's also not something that I'm perfect at. Like, I, I still struggle with it. The thing with women don't know you're pretty is I've learned everything that I've learned about that I wrote and put into that book is because it's something that I fucked up at and then learned and accrued the mm -hmm. wisdom from and, and still 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 something that I struggle with on the daily. And I feel like those habits also are never going to go away because insecurities, things happen in our life all the time that trigger old wounds or trigger old behaviors. So I think we're all just fucking learning and I'm just sharing what I'm learning with people. But yeah, that was definitely the one that caught pe most people's attention. Yeah. I feel like feminism is such a loaded term. And so I'm always mm. curious, like, what is your personal definition of it? There are so many floating through my head, you know, like the classic, like just standing up for what you fucking believe in. But I, 
I think I can better define when someone isn't a feminist. And I'd say that's someone who doesn't care about someone's experience outside of their own in an ignorant and intentional way. Because I think there are so many people who don't like to call themselves a feminist, but they are. They care about whether women get home safe or not. They care about sexual assault. They care about all this stuff, but they would go, no, 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 I'm not a feminist because they think that to be a feminist, you need to be attending all of the marches. You need to be up to date with every single thing that's going on. And being a feminist is not being, because also just being up to date with all the information about what's going on in the world doesn't mean you're actually doing anything with it. So for me, being a feminist is caring about the well-being of other people, people who have experiences outside of your own, questioning the world and not just accepting the way it's been handed to us because every single system was designed by someone and in almost every single case it was a white man even if if, if, uh, the thing that drives me wild to to just even think about is how even like the nine to five office hours buildings streets they were all designed by someone nothing's really real and so with that It's like, if you feel like you don't fit in, if you feel like you don't exist within these structures, if you feel like you don't exist between male or female or you're genderqueer or you are queer in your sexuality, that's not only okay, but it's just so fucking natural because nothing is supposed to be black and white. It was all just invented. And I feel like so many times I have seen people struggle within systems, within within structures, and it's because they weren't built They were built just to give people purpose, but also ultimately everyone has a different purpose. Like even when we think about church or communities or groups, these things have been created to give people a sense of purpose and a place to show up and a place to meet other people. They were created. They're not like this naturally occurring phenomena. And what I've always wanted to do with my work is encourage people to question and challenge the way that things are. So ultimately, that was such a long point. I feel like being a feminist is is living in a state of curiosity and self-awareness about your position in the world in a way that's not self-flagellating and beating yourself up because I've been there I've been there when you when you learn all of that new information and you feel like you're the worst person on earth or all of I have to take on the burden of letting every single person in my life know about this new thing that I just learned when you've hardly had time to process it yourself it's it's a slow process of breathing information breathing it back out and I think that there's a better, more effective way. I feel like the left can sometimes eat itself up in a way that's just not very productive. And I think there's so many more effective ways that we can use our time with just pulling people in, talking with other people, being a bit more fucking compassionate with each other, because ultimately nothing else is going to change otherwise. Yeah, I think there needs to be more of an understanding that people have been conditioned a certain way and that what you need is the willingness to decondition yourself but not yeah. being bad at people for being conditioned in the first place, because that's yes. sort of inevitable. It's hard to get to that spot, isn't it? Have, have, have you found it easy to get there? I, ha- I, I guess I struggle with like, how much leeway do you then give somebody? Like yeah. how much, you know, how much, how many times do you present the information and they refuse yeah. to take it in? But also like, again, everything I'm learning in school is like, people don't like to take in new information that it goes against their worldview because it makes them feel like terrible people and people don't want to, not feel like good people. And so it's hard because everything I'm learning about how humans work, it's like, oh, we're screwed. Like there's no way to recover (laughs) from this. (laughs) Yeah. But I, you know, I, I do think that like having more resources, like doing our best to not expose younger generations to the same conditioning is where the, where the real progress will happen. Like if we can just like 
do more preventative stuff when people are younger and like have more resources and have more things that people grow up with. Then I think that that like I'm hoping to see more change in future generations than like convincing somebody who's 70 to like look at the world a different way because that's really difficult. I think that's what will happen and what is happening. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, this has been so wonderful. And now I want to play silly games with you. Gorgeous. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Game show. Game show. (laughs) So this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I decide if I like your answer or not. (laughs) (laughs) Arbitrary, baby. (laughs) Um, So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Ooh. Your partner of eight years bumps into a stranger at a party and feels an overwhelming connection. Without even thinking about it, they find themselves hooking up with this person in the coat closet only to later find out that this person was an actor on their favorite show growing up and was actually their first crush, which explains the intense connection. Would you forgive this cheater? Yeah, I would. (gasps) (laughs) No, no. Why? And why not? Um, because it's still cheating. It's still cheating. I, I, okay, okay. Put it this way. I would have to think about whether I could accept and live with that because my thing is not being resentful of the person I'm with. So then Mm. what would happen is I would then continue a relationship with them, try constantly trying to justify it in my mind. And then it would, the resentment would seep out in, in passive aggressive ways. If I, I basically spend the rest of the relationship trying to convince myself that I'm okay with it. And I just couldn't do that. Mm. I feel like I want, I want that experience for them. <laughs> I want them to have it. I think are it's you, fun. Are you, are you polyamorous in any way? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I went, you know, it's interesting because not many people get to hook up with their first crush. And also I feel as though celebrity crush. And also I feel as though sometimes <laughs> that goes poorly for people because it's like you didn't actually, it didn't live up to your, you know, what you hoped and dreamed and maybe it was better left as a fantasy. So Allison, did they have a good time? Uh, Yeah, they had a great time, but then they feel so guilty because they've never cheated before. They never thought that they would. And they just had this overwhelming reaction to this person. Are they going to see them again? No, no. Okay. I say fine. (laughs) I'm like, you know what? Like, I get it. Like, that's a cool story. Live your dreams. I think I'm just so, I think I'm just so monogamous. So (laughs) I'd be like, no, sorry. If it was, if I was in some kind of open dynamic, then that would, it would be like, okay, I should have expected that kind of thing. But being well, maybe in they didn't check in with you. They didn't tell you. Even in Polly, you know, they it's uh it's a little dicey. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> not for me. I'm I like hard pressed. If my partner hooked up with someone and it was a really good story, I feel like I can't imagine a situation where I would be upset. I'd be like, what a cool story. I can. Wow. I wow. Can. <laughs> wow. That's a really beautiful place to be if they hooked up with some of your exes which would inherently be a good story you wouldn't be okay with that 
That's true. That's true. Our next game is, are you a terrible parent? Okay. Your child, 12, recently went through a huge growth spurt and needs all new clothes. You ask them to come shopping with you, but they refuse and tell you to just get whatever. Uh Uh-oh. You beg them to help you and they won't. So you end up buying the exact same outfit seven times and they have to wear the same thing every single day for a year. Are you a terrible parent? No, that's efficiency. That's I'm giving them like Steve Jobs level efficiency. (laughs) That's, That's like a uniform. Are you a terrible parent? No, not a terrible parent. It's just lacking variety and interest and interesting clothes and a bit of spice, isn't it? You're just like robbing them of some kind of style. They did it to themselves. Yeah, they they did. They didn't want to handle it. They didn't want to dip the hand in. Yeah, I, no, I'm kind of neutral. About it. Like I don't feel any strong pull about that one. Yeah, I feel like you're not a terrible parent. Yeah, you're not a terrible parent. I don't know why they wouldn't want to go shopping with you. I guess I would examine what that's about. It's like a cartoon character. They wear the same clothes every day, you know? Yeah, but they get, they start to get made fun of that they wear the same clothes every day. Well, too bad, so sad. You should have come with me. <laughs> <laughs> Dye your hair if you want some individuality. I don't know. Maybe that's true. How old's the child? Twelve. Twelve. Fine, dye your hair. Put your hair in Kool-Aid like we used to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad about that. It feels like a way to teach a lesson without it being overly cruel. Yeah. Yes. But then I guess if they really beg you for new clothes, then you can be like, okay, but you have to come with me. Yeah. But if instead you're like, no way, Jose, then that feels me. I would say, why don't you start babysitting and mowing lawns and make your own goddamn money and then you can buy whatever clothes you want with that because that's the lesson. But wow. what if the child is the child happy with the clothes or are they getting maybe they're getting bullied for it and they're just like I whatever. No, they're not happy. They're not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but what 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 kind of a fuss are they kicking up? Are they like screaming at you like saying I want different clothes and then that's where the lesson would come in that Gabby just said. No, I think they're like this is like I want other stuff. I the kids are making fun of me and then you're like well get a job yeah (laughs) I would be such a sucker I'd be like okay let's go get new stuff together (laughs) I mean look I was raised poorly but I will say like yeah get it there was a hard hard thing of get a job get a freaking job you can't get a job at 12 uh you could babysit you could mow lawns you could clean out people's garages yeah, there's tons right. of jobs for 12-year-olds. You, can, you can't work at like lesson. a Chipotle, but... <laughs> Child labor. <laughs> Child oh labor. God. Yeah, Gabby somehow is taking the stance of child labor on the, today's <laughs> hypotheticals. <laughs> Which is a twist I didn't see coming. <laughs> okay. Our final game. Would you forgive this liar? Your friend is over to watch a movie. And halfway through, I forgot. What? (laughs) Your friend's sober to watch a movie. And halfway through, they announce that they are really tired and need to go home to go to sleep. Okay. You Uh ask if anything happened. And they said, no, they're just sleepy. Later that night, you go into the guest bathroom, which they used. 
and notice that the toilet is clogged with their poop, would you forgive this liar? Yes. I would be like, why didn't you tell me? We could have fixed this pretty easily. We could have laughed about it together. It could have been a whole bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would forgive the liar. But also... They left the poop in there for so long that, like, it's probably permeated. You could have just told me I could have cleaned it earlier. I wouldn't unclog it. Maybe I would just, if they said that that happened, I would be like, here's, I have a super, I have a super, no, no, they're already here. They, they're staying. They say, I clogged your toilet. I could give them my super plunger that I have. And then (laughs) super plunger. It go, it's got like a thing and it goes in super plunger. Yeah. So give that to them. Oh, yeah. And then they can handle it. And then that's and then hand them the, you know, spray. And then it's all good, baby. People, everybody poops, you know, like the book says. I think I would understand because I used to be so afraid of that part of myself that I thought it was like, like, I still Mm. like if I like I saw this TikTok where I guess on Dancing with the Stars during a rehearsal, one of the, the celebrities farted. And like me 10 years ago, if like that had happened, I would have been like, my life is over. Mortified. (laughs) I have to go live in the woods. I can never see another human being ever again. Like I used to have such deep rooted shame around like around like stomach stuff, which is now hilarious because I have like Mm. IBS and all these stomach issues. (laughs) But like, (laughs) like, so I think I would feel like I would feel for the person because I would assume that maybe they were in that stage of of, like, of of deep poop shame. So would you just unclog it and never bring it up? It would depend on my relationship. Yeah. Yes, I might bring it up to them and have a bit of a laugh about it. But I would assume that if they did that, then maybe I would have, I think me now would maybe not say anything because I could assume that they were like deeply, like this was touching on something that was really yeah touchy for them. But I'd also feel yeah. sad in my heart because I'd be like, how, yeah. how do they not think that, how do they, I'm disgusting. Like you don't think you could come to me with stuff. I'm so disgusting. Yeah. I think I would then go to their house and leave a, and and do something and drop gross a there, deuce in their toilet like so that they could feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> poop for poop. That's friendship. That's friendship. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can everyone follow you and get your new book, your old book, and all mm-hmm. of your work? <laughs> the one that's not out yet. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, Girl Crush is my debut novel, and that comes out in America in November. What was the date you said, Gabby? November eighth, baby. This. November eighth. November eighth. <laughs> so that's uh, that comes out on November eighth in America. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Florence Given and listen to my podcast exactly with Florence Given on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank Amazing. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about the incongruous parts of our personality, baby. Just between us, it's time for topics. X X X X X X X X X baby, 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 a beat, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so this week, I chose something that really rolls off the tongue, which is incongruous aspects of our personality. <laughs> <laughs> what made you pick that? What do you think is incongruous about you? 
So what made me pick this was that the other day, well, I should first say I'm I'm continuing to be remote because John's day 10 of having COVID. So we're being safe, even though I remain COVID free, proving that I'm a super dodger. Not proving, but so the other day, pre-COVID, John came into my office and um, I showed him that so something that, and tell me if this surprises you that I do this. Sometimes I will doodle with my pen on my nice wooden desk. Whoa, why? Because I want to. That is surprising <laughs> to me. What? I've been doing this for years. Well, is it now like a fun, funky looking desk with a bunch of no, doodles? No, and then I try to clean it off. And most of the time I can get most of it off. So if it's wooden, it's not leaving like imprints in the wood? No, because it's not scratching the wood. I'm just drawing on the surface of the desk. And then um, sometimes I'll clean it right away. And sometimes I'll leave it for a bit and then try to clean it. And this time I'd left it for a bit. And John was appalled. And then I screamed, I don't respect wood. And that's also true. I don't respect wood. What? What? Why? <laughs> I just don't, I don't care about it. I, I don't. <laughs> but if it's a nice desk. Have you had this desk for a long time? <laughs> not that long so it's a new desk that you're i've had it since 2018 oh that's a long time i think okay i don't have any plans to get a new desk okay yeah this that's like four years desk. but i i i don't this makes me uncomfortable for some reason i can't explain because why do you not care about money i don't care um i guess in my head i i've done it so many times that i know that the ink will probably come off so are there like stains a little. Not terrible, though. You'd have to really look. Do you... Okay. Do you think this is like I'm acting out, but in a way that I can then wipe it away? Yeah, I think it's just fun for me to doodle on my desk. Like, I, I often think that if I didn't have OCD, I would be out of control. Like, that I would be someone who was just, like, doing weird, like, really... Like, I'm already, like... I only have rules because of my OCD. Like, I, I'm a little bit of, like, a... Like, a woo person. <laughs> you're a woo girl <laughs> say more about that what a woo person like I it's different from woo woo but <laughs> yeah it's more inclusive <laughs> I don't know how to describe it but I'm just like I don't know like sometimes I just do like weird stuff and I just like don't care and like I I don't know and like also I think the fact that I walk around naked all the time is probably not something that people would expect about me. I don't know. I love being naked all the time. I don't like like I do my chores naked all the time because like it'll be like oh I got to wash what I'm wearing but I also have to do my laundry and so I got to gotta be naked to do Mm -hmm. my laundry. What if an intruder comes in? Okay, it's a body house. They're intruding. Yeah, I I don't like wearing pants, but you like to when you poo it. Yeah, I like to Winnie the Pooh it. But, but see, I, I would argue that you not feeling comfortable being naked is kind of incongruous mm. with your personality. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, who knows? As, as soon as I get top surgery, I'm going to become the worst version of myself. And I want to just put that <laughs> disclaimer here. The minute I get top surgery, I'm going to be so out of control, arrogant, that no one can tell me nothing. Uh, <laughs> oh, how's boy. that different than now? More. Okay. Even more. You get more. So you guys were surprised to hear that I draw on wood. Yes. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed the topic. Yeah. Melissa, do you have anything of your personality we'd be surprised by? I'm trying to think. Personality-wise, maybe not. But, like, I'm really into, like, 
playing this game on my phone called Marvel Strike Force, where it's just <laughs> where it's like a it's a Marvel game that you're like with the team. And at one point I became so obsessed with it that I used to wake up like because you have like the things that are set up with the team. And so I would like time my what time I would wake up so I could play this game so that I could make sure that we like completed our task. Wow. And these were your teammates strangers? Yeah, they're all strangers. You You just get kind of assigned to a team. And I stopped playing for a long time because I became way too obsessed with it. (laughs) And then I recently started playing again like two weeks ago because I started watching the X-Men cartoon that came out in like 1992 that I watched as a kid. Yeah. So I started watching it and I haven't watched it as an adult. And then I was like, oh, now I'm missing my game. And so I got back on, but now I'm on a team that is in Paris and I can't understand anything that they're saying. And so it's good for me because we're not up at the same time and I don't know what's going on, but I'm still just actively participating. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) I learned French. Why? Uh, Mostly to portray um, Marvel Strike Force. So, wow. Okay. I mean, I also have horrible handwriting, which I feel like people don't expect. No, I think I expect you to have horrible handwriting. Why? Why? I don't know, but it just is expected. You have the handwriting of like a child serial killer. And I don't know how that works, but I, okay. As I alluded to in the beginning, I have more squishy feelings than people know. I put on like a bravado. Definitely. But I do, and I hide a lot of it. And my new therapist, one of my new therapists said that my response to my childhood was to bottle everything up, become incredibly self-sufficient and like blend into the wallpaper, which is so different from how I act on this show and how I am. Like I, you know, I put, I, I'm like, I'm the best, I'm the best. And it's like, yeah, but also I hate myself. <laughs> so Yeah, I think like people on this show come at me like ready to fight like listeners or like fans or whoever. They like think that I am like untouchable or something or that I won't be affected or that I won't be sad or and I I generally am like more sensitive than I let on. I think like I take a lot more shit than maybe people would think that I would. lot more shit yeah like I oh like, yeah like okay, people yes, are, I understand. yeah like yeah. people are meaner to me it, and I just sort of like shut down and and like you know rather than I think people think I would like put up a fight maybe mm-hmm. but I'm very much like in certain circumstances I'm very non-confrontational and very like I don't know like someone will be like why don't you like, why didn't you just say that you didn't like that? And I was like, skilled. <laughs> <laughs> I was skilled. <laughs> uh, yeah. What? Okay, let's do each other. Are there parts of each other's personalities that we were surprised to find out or feel are incongruous? Well, I don't know. I feel like you you like doubt yourself a lot in a way that is like you're like talented and you have all these things, but then you will be like, well, I couldn't possibly. Like, I think you like, this is talking about Allison. I think you like, I don't know. Or you like doubt your, you, I, you like doubt yourself in these weird ways. 
I don't think that I do. You don't? I mean, sometimes I'm like... There's There's been times where you've said things that you've been like doubting about yourself and then Gabby yells at you about it. That is true. I don't think it's that I doubt myself and my abilities. Like, I feel very much like if I was given certain opportunities, I could no, absolutely but you doubt, rise you, to the occasion. Yeah, yeah, but I don't yeah. necessarily assume I'm going to get those opportunities. You doubt... It's like something I can't control. But see, this is the thing. You, I think you can control some of it, but you doubt yourself. I guess I just think more things are out of our control than, than you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Which is different. Yeah. And I, and like, I think you like give really good, insightful advice, but you kind of just now have started taking your own advice. Okay. <laughs> you're also chiller than people might know. Yeah, that that's the that's big one the for big me one. is that you're more chill. Yeah. Than what people think. Like you you go with the flow, flow more yeah. than than you put on. Yeah, that people might think, yeah, you're definitely more chill. But that's what I'm saying. Like I think if I didn't have OCD, I would be so chill. Like I would just be like doing whatever, who cares? No big deal. Just like a and stoner then, out on Venice Beach. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> For Melissa, I feel like not like I I guess because I think of you as like such a badass who's like very like runs her own company and all this stuff like the amount of time that you spend with like children and that you love children and don't get burnt out hanging out with kids. I I find I've like. Because there's this idea of the high powered woman who like can't stand kids, right? Mm -hmm. Or like something or like that you wouldn't enjoy hanging out with kids as much as you do. Because I'm not someone that super enjoys gotcha. hanging out with kids. I, I feel like a big kid, to be honest. Yeah. Like, but you I feel like, like are a such a businesswoman. I, I know, but I feel like a kid that just gets to like play like all the time. Like I just kind of sometimes like work is just like, yeah, I do this, but this is what I do to make money, to enjoy yeah. the things in life, you know? You do enjoy the things in life, but you also enjoy like order and stuff. And kids are so messy and disorderly. I I don't know if I enjoy order that much though like I feel like mm. there's a lot of like I things have to get done in a certain way as far as like for work things because mm-hmm. like they have there's deadlines like they have to but like in my everyday life I don't there's no order to it I don't think Guess it's I just was- yeah it's just like I just like go like I really just like go with the flow I I as far as like kids being messy I do make them wash their hands a lot but <laughs> <laughs> I don't like stickiness. Like I will go to the bathroom with the children and wash their hands and I am cleaning their faces and stuff, but I will get like in the dirt and play with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kids are good. I like, I think they get your mind off stuff. Yeah. Cause they're so like, this is immediate. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't have time to care about anything else other than like, oh my God, we have to go to the grocery store and get the, and fight the Hulk or whatever. Oh, I love my nephew has like a Hulk, big Hulk fist and we like to like knock each other out. Yeah. I love that. Because <laughs> you're like, it gets you out of your head. It's yeah. almost like meditating. I, I do like, uh, even when my, my sister Melanie, um, when she was little, I used to do these things called rough lessons where I would teach her how to like fight from things I learned on Power Rangers. And then I've carried that through their children rough too. Lessons. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> What about me? What about you? 
Well, we we did the nakedness, I think, squishiness. I think uh, I've always found you being so afraid of ants to be strange. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like literally cleaning up like dead mouse brain in my house. But like if I see what? one. Yeah. Oh, the cat has started murdering things. Oh, Although, no. but like an ant is like I've set myself on fire. Right. Like, like yeah. fire you like like I feel like I've gotten you like a like a dead butterfly yeah, like, in, like a like, case as a gift yeah. like you like 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 other insects and things and like you know but that the fear of ants has always been funny to me yeah did I, an ant do something to you i don't like that there's so many of them okay like that why are they they could consume you they could get on you that makes sense to me i've been doing this fun thing where so the, the cat pinky we have a cat and pinky has been like killing like mice and leaving them around and Mal's like, oh, God, Pinky left this. And I started doing this thing at night, one night where I was like, I've actually been leaving them for you. <laughs> I actually, I, it's not me. It's not Gabby. It's someone else. And you don't, you don't like the gifts I've left you? I like them. Oh, no. And, I don't like this. And I kept it going for so long. And Mal was like, I, th- I don't like this. <laughs> Like, uh, and I was like, why don't you like my gifts, Mal? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, though. That's no, that's funny. not surprising. It's very funny. That's funny. <laughs> <sighs> what did we rate this episode? I rate it 11 out of 10. You, child wearing the same uniform every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it... 30 out of 20, um, a very British episode. A very Ooh, British episode. Yes. And I will rate it uh, 81 out of 59 oh. shared mortgages. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you to Florence Given for being our guest. Our guest. For being our guest. That was not a British accent. <laughs> it wasn't at all. all. It wasn't at a British all. accent at all. I don't know all. what that was. Wait, let me try it. The guest was just off. And thank you to Lord Florence Given for being our guest. That was better. Yeah. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You, Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, You can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye. Forever.